Hey, so uh, today we get to jump into uh, part five of this series, Gospel Change. And I just want to start with an old picture. Check this out. Look at these two kids. All right. This is my wife, Katie, and I way back when we were dating in college. I think we were on a camping trip with some friends in the Smoky Mountains. So uh, Katie and I met in Chicago in college. And I don't know about you, but for me, college was like one of the most fun times of my life. And our group of friends, the people that we hung with in college, were really fun, adventurous people. And so we had a lot of fun. On top of that, uh, I've told you this before, but I played volleyball in college. And uh, my team, this group of guys, these guys were nuts. I mean, they were an absolute riot. And so like home games with my volleyball team, it was a party. There would be a live band. There was always like a theme that everybody would dress up for. And it was just, it was wild. We, we had a lot of fun in college. I was a fun guy in college, okay? Let me just say that. And uh, when Katie and I, you know, we dated for like uh, two years, got engaged, and then got married. And I surprised her with something. And it wasn't a very nice surprise. So when we got married, we moved into our first apartment, she discovered something about me that I sort of failed to mention, and that is I'm actually a huge introvert. So like she was dating fun, outgoing Aaron, and then we got married and I was now boring, introverted Aaron. It's like I would come home from work and all my words were used. I had spent them all. And so we couldn't talk. You know, I, just, I needed to rest. And it's like, let's go out and do something fun. And I'm like, I need to, I need to chill. I mean, even this, like being on the stage and preaching on a weekend, when I go home this afternoon, I go straight to bed. And then I eat something and then I stare at a wall for a while because I just need to recharge. I'm so introverted. And I'll be honest, it was kind of tough for Katie, kind of tough for our marriage to have this surprise. Like, who are you? And what happened to the fun Aaron that I was dating? And those of you who are married know there are some surprises that come when you get married, right? Sometimes they're personality surprises. Sometimes they're expectation surprises. It's like, well, my mom, she cooked you know, every meal from scratch, so I just kind of thought that uh, sometimes it's in-law surprises. We'll just leave that one alone. <laughs> sometimes they're financial surprises. I didn't even know you had that credit card, let alone the debt on that credit card. It, sometimes, unfortunately, there are even addiction or sin surprises. You see, all relationships can be challenging, but it's the ones that are close to home, the ones that are the most emotionally charged uh, marriage, husband-wife relationships, sibling relationships, parent and child relationships. Family relationships can be pretty challenging. Home seems to be like one of the greatest sources of joy and also can be one of the greatest sources of struggle. And so today what we're going to talk about is just how the gospel speaks into our family relationships and how the gospel in the language we've been using in this series changes our family relationships. And we're going to be spending some time in a letter that Paul wrote uh, to a group of believers in the big Roman city of Ephesus. And I just want you to see kind of how he starts this section of his letter where he's talking about families and uh, relationships. Because what Paul is doing 
is calling these believers, calling us into a totally new way of relating to each other. Listen to what he says. This is chapter 5, verse 21 of the letter to the Ephesians. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He goes, look, in the family of God, in the church, in our relationships with each other, including families, we submit to one another. We, in a way, place ourselves under the authority of everybody else. I mean, two words that really capture what this is all about are these two words right here. You first. Paul says, look, as Jesus followers, we approach every relationship with, no, 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 no you first. It's what you need. It's what you desire. I am here to serve you, to help you flourish. I'm here for your well-being. It's you first. And Paul says this is how Jesus' followers approach every relationship. But then in his letter, if you were to read it, he applies this idea to three specific relationships. He applies it to husbands and wives, and then he applies it to children and parents, and then he applies it to uh, slaves and masters. And thankfully, in our culture, slaves and masters, not so much of a thing like it was in their culture, so we're going to skip that one. But the other two, husbands and wives, children and parents, this is what we're going to talk about today and how the gospel calls us to approach these relationships. And my friends, I think this, import, this conversation is so important because some of us are married and it's really not going that great. Some of us are married and we're kind of in disappointing space right now. And all of us are children <laughs> and relationship with parents, whether you're young, whether you're old, can be challenging. Relationships within the family, I mean, you might have broken relationships. There might be real stress in your family relationships. And all of us want to have healthy marriages and healthy family relationships. And what we're gonna talk about today, how the gospel speaks into this relationships, I'm, I'm telling you, if you can catch this, if you can apply some of what Paul is gonna teach here, this could breathe hope and life into some of the most important relationships in your life. And the invitation is to approach each of those relationships you first, you first. And how do you do that? Why would you do that? How can you sustain that? These are the things that we're gonna talk about today. And I know that some of you are going, well, not married, don't have any kids, I'm gonna sit this one out. (laughs) Just, I'm gonna catch up on a nap here. Um, And I would just challenge you, I would encourage you, what Paul is gonna unpack for us here, really it it applies to all relationships. And so I would just encourage you, take, take this content, and apply it to your situation. Even if you're not married, even if you don't have children, this stuff works for brothers and sisters, friends, work relationships, all of it. So that's where we're headed, and uh, it's a three-part conversation. The first one has to do with husbands and wives. And so again, just to set the table, back to that verse that we already read, Paul sets the whole thing up with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a mutual submission that takes place for Jesus' followers in every relationship. And now, Paul applies this specifically to married people. And he starts with wives. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, there's a lot going on here, so let's just unpack a couple things. First off, in every relationship here that Paul talks about, he connects the behavior that he's asking for to your relationship with Jesus. Submit to, submit to your husbands as you do in the Lord. It's connected to your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is the basis and the way that you uh, approach this relationship. And Paul also talks about this specific uh, role that a husband has in a married relationship and in a family. And he calls it uh, the head. The, your husband is the head, just as Jesus is the head of the church. What does that mean? I think it's a word that means responsibility and leadership. And so you see throughout the scriptures, I mean, starting at the very beginning with the Garden of Eden and all throughout, that God calls husbands and fathers to a type of responsibility and a type of leadership in the family. And what specifically that is, we'll talk about. But first, Paul says, look, uh, wives, your response in Christ to that responsibility and to that leadership is to submit. And that word, I think, the best way to understand that word is the word respect. And the reason I say that is Paul will use that word in a summary statement that we'll look at in a little bit to clarify what he's talking about here. And so husbands have a leadership role, and the wife's responsibility is to respect her husband in that. We all submit to each other. We all approach every relationship, you first, and the specific way that Paul asks wives to go, you first, in their relationship, is to support, to encourage, to stand with and behind their husbands as they exercise this responsibility and this leadership. Now, as we will see very clearly, this role that God is calling husbands into there is absolutely nothing here that is about control, that is about dominating, that's about exploiting, that's about bossing around your wife. It's none of that. And the reason that I say that is how Paul describes what that leadership looks like. So down in verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and here's the key phrase, and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you are called into a particular kind of responsibility and leadership in your family, and what is that? It's to give yourself away in the same way that Jesus gave himself away for us. That leadership looks like self-giving love. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like laying your life down for her well-being and for her benefit. Now, this concept was so revolutionary, so countercultural in the ancient world. Because in the ancient Roman world, it was like this. Okay, yes, the husband is the leader of the family. Therefore, the wife exists for his well-being. She's there to serve him and to make his life better. That's what it's about. And then Jesus comes along and he flips this thing on his head. And he says, the husband is the leader of the family. Therefore, 
The husband exists for his wife's well-being, for her flourishing as a person. And you see this flip in the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus himself. Because what does Jesus do in his leadership? He washes his disciples' feet. He takes the lowest role. And he says things like, if you want to be first, you got to be last. And then he gives his life away for his followers, for us. It's an upside down, you first, I exist for your well-being. That is what the leadership looks like. So wives, they show up in this relationship, you first, by supporting and encouraging and standing behind and respecting and honoring their husbands as they step into their role, which is to consistently lay themselves down, to sacrifice, to give themselves away for the wife's well-being. And it's pretty obvious there is absolutely nothing in this husband-wife relationship that says, me first. (laughs) It's about me You're here for me. No, it's all you first. I am here to give myself away for you. And so Paul gives us just a a beautiful summary statement of what this is supposed to look like down in verse 33 of chapter 5 where he says, "Uh, Each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. It's another way of saying self-giving love. And the wife must respect her husband. He gives us two words, love and respect. And some of you are going like, that sounds familiar, love and respect. And that might be because there was a marriage book that came out uh, years ago that's incredibly popular, Christian marriage book, and it's called Love and Respect. Have you heard of this book? Have you read this book? A bunch of you probably have. Uh, this is a really good book, by the way. And if you're kind of looking to, to grow in your marriage, take some steps in your marriage, this book is not a bad idea. So the author, uh, Dr. Emerson Egerich, the idea that he presents comes from the verse that we were just looking at, and it's basically this. Look, husbands, men need respect. They need to feel respected from their wives in order for their relationship to be healthy. And wives, wives need to feel loved. They need to feel seen and heard and desired and treasured. From, they need to feel that from their husbands if this relationship is going to be healthy. It's love and respect, and, and uh, that's, that's what we need as husbands and as wives. Now, some of you might just be going, look, uh, I'm a woman, and uh, I, I feel the need to be respected too. And that's legit. And I think these are generalizations, right? And so it, I view it as like a continuum of love and respect. And depending on who you are, how you're wired, your background, you might place yourself more in the middle, you might place yourself on on one of the ends. I mean, as human beings, we all need love and respect. The point is, generally speaking, guys need that respect and ladies need that love. Now, I wanna show you a couple uh, uh, graphics from the book of how this uh, interplay between love and respect and husbands and wives works. And I think, for those of you who are married, this is gonna explain a lot that it's possibly going on in your relationship. And right about now, some of you are just going, again, not married, I think I'll take a nap. Uh, What you're gonna see in these graphics, they're really helpful for any relationship. So again, apply it to where you're at. So here's the first graphic. It's called the crazy cycle. 
And the deal is, uh, without receiving love and without receiving respect, he's going to react and she's going to react. And it's just this cycle. It's called the crazy cycle. The best way I can explain it is this. If I don't feel respect from my wife, Katie, I'm not feeling very inclined to show love to her. And the more this happens, the more frustrated you can become and the more isolated you become in your relationship. And some of you are just going, yeah, been there. Been in that frustrating place where it's just not working because neither person is really getting what they want. That's the crazy cycle. A second graphic is called the energizing cycle. So what's going on here is he is providing love to her and she is showing respect to him and it's motivating the other person to give it back. And so again, it's like this. My wife is showing me respect and I'm going, wow, thank you. I so appreciate this. I love the way that this feels. I, I want to show you love. I am motivated. I'm encouraged to show you love. And so each person is like encouraging the other person in this really good, energizing cycle. And this is what it looks like when your relationship is healthy. This is what it looks like when your relationship is flourishing. This is where you want to be. But the big question is, how do you get there when you're not there, right? Like this is a great place to be, but you're just going, that's not us. So how do we get there? And so let me show you the third graphic. It's called the rewarded cycle. So the key words here are regardless of. So here's how it works. My wife is not receiving from me the love that she needs. And she goes, I am going to give him the respect that he's craving anyway. And what that does is it creates an opportunity to start the energizing cycle because now I'm receiving what I want, and I go, oh, maybe I should give her what she wants. It gives you an opportunity to start, or this is so important for so many of us, or restart. Because just the way that life works, you might be in that energizing cycle in a couple weeks from now, you might not. <laughs> and so how do you get back in there? It's this one, where somebody chooses to go first. Somebody says in the relationship, no, 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 you first. I am here to serve you. And like the million dollar question is how do you do that? And why would you do that? And how can you continue to do that? Because the truth is some of us are just going, look, I've been married for seven, eight years and I haven't been getting what I really need since like a month after the honeymoon. Some of you are going, look, our kids just moved out of the house and we're just realizing they were what was connecting us. And now that they're gone, there's just not much there. There's no spark, there's no chemistry. And so I'm just not feeling it. So how do you get, how do you, how do you show up you first when you're just not feeling it? All right, there's two phrases I wanna share with you. And I'm just feeling like if there's two phrases that you remember and only two phrases from this entire message, I hope it's these two. Because this illustrates how the gospel can change your marriage. So here's the first phrase. It goes like this. If you are full, you don't need anyone to fill you. And I'm talking about the impact that the gospel has on your heart. 
When you understand, I mean really understand what Jesus accomplished for you and how you are forgiven and now you are infinitely loved, infinitely treasured and infinitely secure. When you understand how full you are in Christ, you realize that you don't need anyone else to fill you or anything else to fill you. You are full. And when you are full, you don't need someone else to fill you. That's the first line. Second one is this. If you are full, you are free to pour yourself out. When you get the gospel, when you allow Christ to fill you, that's how you can show up in your relationship or any relationship and say, I'm here for you. You first. I'm here for your well-being. I'm willing to lay down my life so that you can flourish. And that is how you can regularly and consistently show up and say, you know what, I'm not getting what I need right now but I'm gonna give her what she needs because I'm full. You see, here's the thing. Your wife cannot fill you because she is a broken and flawed human being in need of Christ at every moment. And your husband is incapable of filling you because he is a flawed human being in need of grace at every moment. Listen, those of you who are thinking about getting married, moving toward marriage, someday you'd like to be married, I, I need you to hear something. He will not complete you. She cannot complete you. Tom Cruise was wrong. There is only one person who can fill you, and his name is Jesus. And so it's only in anchoring yourself, so anchoring yourself in Christ that he begins to fill you, that you will be able to show up in the most healthy way in your marriage relationship, to pour yourself out, to lay down your life for her, to respect him in the way that he needs. You see, the very best thing that you can do for your marriage has to do with you and him. <laughs> It's about anchoring yourself in Christ. That's how you can show up and serve. So let me challenge you, those of you who are married, I want to challenge you to have a conversation this week. And I really want you to do this. I think this would be really helpful. So, you know, put the kids to bed, sit down on the dining room table, go out for dinner, grab a cup of coffee, whatever. But I want you to have a conversation around these topics. And there's three questions I want you to ask. So here's the first one. First one is what makes you feel valued? So I'm just taking love and taking respect, putting them together, value. What makes you feel valued? And if you are able to really listen, your spouse will tell you what she needs, what he needs, and it'll give you an opportunity to serve them in the most helpful way possible. So there's the first question. Second question, what am I doing or saying that does not help you feel valued? And when your spouse tells you, you get to have one response. And you know what that response is? Thank you for telling me that. You don't get to defend. You don't get to defer. Thank you for telling me that. It'll give you an opportunity to learn what you're doing, probably accidentally, that's not helping. And then the third question. What is one thing we can start doing right now that would improve our relationship? 
and maybe it's, you know, you just, you need to offload your kids uh, to some friends or your, your parents and take a weekend away. Maybe you need to read a marriage book together, like Love and Respect. Maybe you need to schedule a regular date night. Maybe you need regularly scheduled sex. Yes, I just said that. Um, what, what do you need to do? What can you do right now? And I really want you to have this conversation. So take a screenshot of this. Here, let me get another way. Just, here you go. Here's your screenshot. Remember to do this, okay? Um, or screenshot if you're online or pull out your phone, take a picture. I'll put this back up at the end of the, at the, end of the message. But, but here's the deal. We're going to turn the corner into a couple different relationships. But for some of you, I think this is why you're here. This is why God brought you here today because there's something here for you and your relationship with your marriage to invite the gospel in to change your relationship. So let's go to part two, and let's talk about uh, children. Now, a uh, bunch of you were a little bit checked out during that last part because you're not married. Uh, here's the thing. Every single one of us is a child. We all have parents, and so this is for all of us. Paul wants to talk about how the gospel impacts us as children, and he says, now I'm in chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And again, see how it's connected to Christ. Obey your parents in the Lord. This is what is right. And so this is what we're called to do. This is how we're uh, called to show up you first as children. But it's actually much harder than that because look at the next verse. He says, honor your father and mother. And of course, he's quoting the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments that God gave his people at Sinai. And this is much harder because uh, we all know that um, honoring is harder than obeying because you can obey while rolling your eyes. And you can obey publicly and then privately you can say all kinds of nasty things about your parents. Honoring is much harder than obeying for another reason too. Because whether you're young or whether you're old, you know that uh, your parents are flawed. Your parents make mistakes, and sometimes your parents let you down. On top of that, some of you, especially those of you who are adults, understand that um, your parents said some things, did some things that hurt you. Or perhaps they didn't say some things, didn't do some things for you that you really needed. And so when you talk about honoring your parents, I just know that for some of us, this is pretty complex, and this actually is pretty painful. And so how do you, how do you honor parents when maybe they don't deserve it? Well, here's the deal. The gospel empowers us to honor our parents in two ways. First way is that the gospel helps us to see our parents clearly. Because here's the deal. Your mom... And your dad are exactly like you. They are flawed, they are broken, they are sinful people in desperate need of a savior. And your mom and your dad are just like you because they have insecurities and they have fears. And you know what? They probably have wounds from their parents. Your mom and dad are just like you also in the fact that they are desperately and deeply loved by their creator. Jesus went to the cross for your dad. Jesus came into this earth and he lived and died for your mom because 
He loves them. And sometimes, and maybe you've never done this, it's helpful to just take a step back and, and to look at your parents through his eyes, to see them as broken and flawed and deeply loved, just like you. So the gospel empowers us to honor our parents by helping us see them clearly. Secondly, the gospel empowers us to honor our parents, and this might be hard to hear, because you don't need their love, and you don't need their approval, and you don't need their validation to be whole. Because if you're in Christ, you already are whole. You are infinitely loved, infinitely treasured, infinitely secure, apart from your parents in him. And I understand that some of us never really felt the love of our mothers. Some of us never really felt the approval of our dads. And that is hard and that is significant and that might need to be processed, unpacked and addressed, but you don't need their love and their approval to be whole because you already are whole in Christ. And so the gospel empowers us to honor our parents no matter what our relationship with our parents was or is like. And so I would challenge you, how can you honor your parents today? And for some of us, it's just how we talk, either to our parents or about our parents. And it's just, it's just not all that honoring. It's just not all that respectful. Another way you can honor your parents, have you ever said thank you? I mean, like, for real, thank you? And again, it doesn't matter if you're young, doesn't matter if you're 50. Have you ever said to your mom, thank you for birthing me? <laughs> I, I understand that was a little dramatic <laughs> and painful. Thank you. Have you ever thanked your parents for investing in you? Those of you who are parents know that children are expensive <laughs> financially, emotionally, relationally, investing in you. Have you ever said thank you? I wonder if it's time to call them up, write a letter, and just say thank you, thank you. That's very honoring. And you know what? Even while I challenge you to honor your parents, I just want to pause and recognize some of the honoring that is happening. Because some of you are in a very difficult space right now where you are caring for your parents. And maybe they're getting older or maybe they're sick, but you're stepping into this role that you just never imagined where you're taking care of your mom, you're taking care of your dad, and it's hard, and it, it's a lot. And you know what? It's incredibly honoring to love your parents this way, to, to be there for them, to, to care for them. I, I just think that your God is so proud of you stepping into that. It's a very honoring thing for you to do. And so Paul challenges us, the way that we as children, whether young or old, show up, you first, is to honor our parents. And some of you who are parents are just going like, I am going to send this to my kids. I mean, they're in DV right now, but they are going to listen to this. We're going to talk about this. Okay, maybe, <laughs> but let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about how the gospel changes us as parents. So here we go. Verse uh, 4 Paul says, fathers, 
Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So Paul's speaking directly and specifically to fathers here. But I think it's fair to apply this to, to moms. I think it's fair to apply to single parents, uh, grandparents, depending on what kind of role you have with your grandkids. And so he says, do not exasperate your children. Instead, raise them up in the Lord. It's like opposites. You can either exasperate your kids or you can train them up in the way of Jesus. This does not help this. Do you get the idea here? So exasperate your children. What, what does that even mean? So it's kind of a strange word. Sometimes it's helpful to just read the scriptures in a different translation to get a different uh, angle on it. So look at this. This is the New Living Translations. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Don't provoke your kids into anger. Because again, this, this is not helpful in raising them up in the faith. And I think, unfortunately... Many of us are raising angry kids in the way that we treat them, in the way that we talk to them. B plus, you can do better than that. Why can't you be more like your brother? What's wrong with you? You know, you'd be a lot prettier if you'd lose some weight. Stop being so sensitive. Why are you so sensitive? And I just know that even as I share some of these phrases, for some of us, it just brings up some pretty dark memories of things that your mom or your dad said to you that, that really hurt, that, that brought up shame and embarrassment and perhaps even wounded you. Many of us carry painful hurts from things that our parents or some other adults said to us that hurt us. And so the question is, why do we do it to our kids? And it takes me back to this memory I have of bringing my kids to the play area at the mall when they were pretty young. You know what I'm talking about, the play area. And so my kids, they were having a great time at the mall, and then it came time to go. And so, all right, let's pack it up. Let's head out. And one of my kids threw a nuclear-level nuclear tantrum. I mean, just lost it. And so from the play area all the way to my car out in the parking garage, it's screaming, it's yelling, it's flailing arms and legs, and I'm just passing so many people, and I'm pretty sure there were a couple that were like, hey, isn't that our pastor? <laughs> it was so embarrassing. I was so embarrassed, but more than that, I was furious. I was so angry at my kid. Why? Because they made me look bad. And my friends, I think that's the root of this whole thing. This is why we provoke our kids to anger. This is why we exasperate. This, this is why we wound them with our words. It's the times that they make us look bad. Because what happens at, as parents is that we attach our sense of value and our sense of worth to the behavior and to the performance of our kids. And so when I show up at conferences and my kid's doing really well, I feel valuable. And when my kid is good looking and popular, I feel valuable. And when my kid makes the travel team, I feel valuable. But when my kid gets suspended, when my kid doesn't get asked to the dance, when my kid gets cut from the team, when they make me look bad, friends, here's the deal. 
As long as we attach our sense of value and worth to our kids' behavior and performance, we will have moments where we hurt them with our words. Because they're going to make us look bad. Because they're kids. And so what we need to do is detach our sense of, of identity and value from our kids and attach it to Christ. We need to anchor ourselves in him. The best thing that you can do as a parent is to so anchor your sense of identity in Christ that you're able to show up in the lives of your kids, you first. I'm here for your well-being. I'm here to help you flourish. Because when you're full, you don't need someone to fill you. And that's someone being your own kids. And when you're full, you are free to pour yourselves out. And so I want to invite you. And instead of provoking your kids to anger because we attach our sense of value to them, to anchor yourself in Christ so that you can pour out love. You can be so generous with your words. You can speak life into the hearts of your kids. You can tell them how much you love them, how proud of them that you are. You can remind them of how much God loves them. You can help build them up in the faith. That is the invitation, you first, in your relationship with your kids. And yet I know that some of you are just going, too late. It's too late. Because she is a teenager and he, I mean, he's out of the house. He's got his own kids. And I know some of you, it's like, look, I, I became a Jesus follower after raising my kids. It's too late. And I would just encourage you, it is not too late. It is never too late. Some of the most powerful and meaningful words that my dad ever spoke into my life happened when I was 17, 18. It's not too late to speak life into your kids, even if they're out of the house. I mean, seriously, write them a letter and tell them. Speak those life-giving words over them because you as parents, especially you as fathers, you have no idea how powerful your words are in shaping the heart of a kid. And so be generous because you're full and you can pour yourself out. So let's wrap up where we started. Katie and I, I was so fun when we were dating. I mean, I was just a fun guy, outgoing, or so she thought. And I tricked her. I fooled her. And uh, she married a boring introvert. And I feel bad for her. But, you know, just when we started to figure that whole thing out, we started having kids. And that made it better. <laughs> no. And then we had more kids. It started out as man-to-man, -man, and then you go to zone defense, and now it's just free-range parenting. It's just like they're everywhere. It's chaos. I know, you know, family relationships can be the greatest source of joy or the greatest source of pain in our lives. But the gospel has the power to change our family relationships, has the power to change how we show up in our families. And the gospel has, has hope. The gospel breathes life into our relationships. And so I just encourage you, challenge you, anchor yourself in Christ. 
so that you can show up in your family and pour yourself out for the well-being of those around you. All right, homework assignment. Back to those three questions. I think this would be so helpful. And I know it's going to... For some, this could be a pretty challenging conversation. In fact, you might want to have this conversation with a counselor. I'm just saying, Christian counselor. If, if you are in a space where it's like we just argue and then we get stuck and we spin out. But I think this conversation could be so helpful this week. Now, let me give you a couple uh, resources as we close. Um, let me show you this. I'm going to move over to the other side of the stage here. This is our marriage podcast at Ada Bible Church called Together. We're on like the fifth season. I mean, uh, this stuff is great. And actually, there's an interview uh, from last season of my wife, Katie, and I. And so if you want to get to know our story just a little bit more and learn more about the story I shared, uh, you, can, you can go there. But that could be a great resource for you as you uh, are married or perhaps moving toward marriage. And then uh, one other thing here, um, we're doing an event Friday night for parents. Uh, our Discovery Village team is putting this on, Building Faith at Home. And so uh, this could really be helpful for you as well. And um, uh, here's an email because uh, here's the deal. If you're, if you're struggling as a parent, if you're struggling in your marriage, uh, reach out. Don't try to do it alone. We have connections with some great marriage mentors, some fantastic marriage counselors. We have resources. We, would, we have pastors and ministry leaders who would meet with you, listen to you, pray with you, share advice. Don't try to do this alone. So let me pray for you as we close up today. Heavenly Father, um, we just pause first off and, uh, and think about the gospel. We reflect on the fact that you sent your son, that he gave his life, to restore us to you. And the gospel brings such hope to every aspect of our lives. And God, I just bring before you brothers and sisters who are in relationships that are challenging. God, I pray that you would meet them in that space, that you would breathe life into that relationship, that you would bring healing into that relationship. God, may you be powerfully at work in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for who you are and what you've done. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, it's been so great being with you and opening the scriptures. Looking forward to next week. We'll see you next time.